We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website, Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there. And, of course, ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, good to see morning, you all. Good morning, Scott. morning, Scott. All right. This is a good one. Uh, what you need to know to retire successfully. Ah, good start. It's so straightforward. Forward. <laughs> I've, I've got to make this last an hour. No. <laughs> Listen to the show. <laughs> Listen That's to the right, show. Yeah. That's, That's all there is. Step one. Yeah, you know, I, I met with some clients this week, and um, and we were reviewing their retirement. They are retired. They've been retired for uh, five years now, and we we're reviewing their cash flow, the money coming in, the money going out, and uh, and and I've noticed a, there's been a pattern over the last several years where they've been spending a lot more than, than I had originally planned. And, um, and cash flow is king and when it comes, or spending is king when it comes to your retirement plan. And so originally when we did this five years ago, I said, you know what, you, you pretty well are going to be fine right into your eighties. You'll probably have to sell your home mm-hmm. and you will run out of your, your savings portion, but you still have your Canada pension plan. And, um, they both had pensions, not big ones, but there was certainly going to be some ongoing income for the remainder of their life. Mm-hmm. So they were certainly not going to run out of money or income, but um, their capital for all the extras mm-hmm. in life was starting to sort of disappear. And so the original projection I had, sort of they were probably 25 years before they were kind of getting a negative uh, cash flow. In other right. words, they were spending more than, than that was coming in. Well, we redid the plan and it's now down to 12 years. So we've got a 63-year-old who's been retired for five years who now is looking at having a shortfall at 75. Yikes. And so the question was, well, what does that mean? And Can I ask a question? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously they had a plan. Yeah. What happened? So that's a really good question. So the first thing I said to them, listen, from our end, it looks like we've done everything that we thought we would. In other words, I said, here's what the rate of return is going to be on both your RSPs, your RIFs, your TFSAs, your non-registered investments. And in all four categories, we've exceeded the rate of return that we used in the plan. Mm-hmm. I also accounted for inflation at uh, 2.5%. Inflation has only been about 1.9. Mm-hmm. So inf- we've actually overestimated inflation. And uh, so all those factors really don't point to why there should be any problem. The only problem is those those phone calls that you make twice a year where you ask for 10 grand here, 20 grand here Mm. for projects that you're thinking about or things that you want to buy. And so really that sort of hit home to them a bit. But on the same time, they're thinking, I want to enjoy, we want to enjoy life now. And that becomes a rationale. So whether it's, you know, new, um, uh, a new, boat or something yeah. along that line, it, it all became easy to rationalize. So they're this enjoy- is the time we have to They're do. enjoying retirement. They're enjoying retirement. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with that. I said, well, all it means is that now at age 75, you have to sell your home. Mm-hmm. And they both kind of looked at each other and I don't, they didn't really like the sound of that. I, said, I hate <laughs> to be the bearer of bad news, but that's really where this is pointing. Or you have to adjust your lifestyle by about a thousand dollars a month. That's when the deficits began. Mm. So you got to spend less. Now that sort of and it started- it is a slippery slope too. Yeah. Once you start getting into that principle, it's not like all of a sudden you can make more money. It's not like right. it, money works harder all of a sudden. No. You, if you start dipping in the principle and you're still taking out the normal monthly on top of that, you got less money working for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this was the, the, the sort of crossroads in their mind is, well, they could certainly see themselves 
spending less at 75 and on. Sure. So that became part of the discussion. And so, you know, at the end of it, we sort of decided that there would be a combination of things. We're going to back off a little bit on those extras. Uh, and at the same time, the biggest difference though, uh, was that he is going to continue his part-time job. Mm-hmm. So originally we were going to stop at 65, his part-time job, which was about 15,000 a year. Mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a lot, but it's probably like, that means, you know, it's about $300,000 at 5% rate of return that you'd have to have in order to generate that income. Yeah, good point. So now he's going to continue mm-hmm. to do that for, uh, instead of two more years for at least four more years mm-hmm. on the part-time and maybe even longer, depending on how he feels. So that freed them up a little bit more in terms of some flexibility, but you know, it, it, it really shows me how important it is, particularly in those early years of retirement, to have regular reviews, to stay on top of it. That's what I was just going to write down. That seems so important, I isn't know. it? And you, need, and you need somebody who's willing to kind of give you the bad news yeah. and say, mm-hmm. here's, what you, here's where you, you, you guys are off track on this. Yeah. Here's why. And uh, we need to adjust it now or it's just going mm-hmm. to get uglier. Yeah. Right? And the whole idea of human emotion, it's actually amazing how we can rationalize almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. It is absolutely like we can justify why we need this. Like that Halloween candy in front of you? Yeah, that, that one there, that <laughs> leftover Halloween candy that I'm waiting for the break so I can eat more of it. That stuff there, right. And I'll rationalize, I'll do a little more exercise That's later right. offset. That's right. And, and He's money. doing push-ups between spots. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the same idea with money. We say, oh, we really, you know, if we don't do this, then the house won't be worth as much. And it's absolutely true. But the money still has to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And having a part-time job is one of the best answers. Um, it makes such a difference on the plan, especially if it wasn't accounted for in the original plan. Right. Yeah, yeah. There was some of the, there was part of that, but I just thought it was going to end sooner than, than mm-hmm. we originally pictured. Mm-hmm. So there was And early agreement. retires too. So they retired early, retired, early yeah. so, and we're living yeah. longer. That, demands, longer, that yeah. demands more uh, more discipline in some ways yeah. because uh, you're going to have longer to live and you're in your sort of go-go years where you yeah. want to spend more, right? Yeah. And uh, so some of the main things that you think about as you prepare for retirement, number one still for me has to be debt. Because if you're saddled with a regular ongoing mortgage payment Mm -hmm. and you look at that fixed payment going into the future, you know, 10 years out, you're still making, you know, $1,000 a month or $1,500 a month towards your mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. It is deadly in terms of the ongoing, you know, loss of opportunity for Mm -hmm. yourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it just means that when you do need money, you know, do you need to, are you going to borrow more or no? Yeah. You end up cashing in your investments to mm-hmm. try and uh, solve it. So debt planning and debt management as you head into retirement is absolutely key. And, and, and while we're on top of debt, it, it's a forced payment. You can't change. I don't want to no. pay this month. And even though they say the markets are down. And you probably should, you know, that Monte Carlo analysis that we talked about before, that it's it's always tough when the markets are down. You shouldn't be selling then. You should be buying. Yeah. But of course, you're retired. You can't buy. So a debt forces you to take money out of your investments, even though it may not be the best thing. Yeah. And it ends up hurting you even more so. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, a lot of times people, well, I'm locked in for five years. I've got a really low interest rate. Well, that's great. And that, that you know, mm-hmm. is a benefit. But but then what happens when that matures and interest rates are 2% higher? Yeah. You know, yeah. now that, you know, 1200 a month or 1500 a month is now 1700 a month, mm-hmm. you know, and suddenly that erodes again, your purchasing power, the choices you can make in retirement. Mm-hmm. So coming back to tips for planning for retirement. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about what to do in terms of taking RSPs out, but in terms of putting money into RSPs, 
maximizing your RRSPs. Mm-hmm. It still is a fundamental basis for yeah. building your retirement nest egg. And um, the only time it doesn't make sense is if your income is probably under the $45,000 range, mm-hmm. okay? But anybody whose income is above that, maximizing that, the old 10% rule, well, in this case, it's really 18% is the maximum you can put in. So yeah. if you make uh, this year $144,500, of that is $26,010. That is the limit for 2017. Mm -hmm. If you have unused RSP room carry forward, that means you're not maximizing your savings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. It should be it should be a you know a glaring uh, comment to how much we're saving on a regular basis. Can we adjust our lifestyle? What else do we have to do in terms of our saving? Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're still working, you uh, beyond age 65, let's say, or even right up to age 71, if you have earned income, you can contribute. You can contribute to a spousal plan if you're still working beyond 71 to a younger spouse. Or in the final year, before you have to convert your RSPs to something at age 71, you can actually make an over-contribution in the final year mm-hmm. so that you can take advantage of that in your 72nd year. So, you know, that I think that really the key thing is then you begin to think about, well, how do I take money out of my RSPs? And there's a RIF option, there's an annuity option, or there's a cash option. Cash option is rarely ever seen, although if somebody had a small amount in their RSP or their RIF, it might make sense just to clean it up and get rid of it. So mm-hmm. in, the ca- in the case you maybe had multiple RIF plans, various right. places, tidy one up, just take it out and collapse it. But really at, at the end of the day, most people would also uh, base their RIF payment on their younger spouse's age. Mm-hmm. So if you're the youngest spouse, yeah. base it on your age. If you're the oldest spouse, base it, on, base it on your spouse's age. What that does is it reduces the minimum payment that you have to take out each year. It doesn't mean you can't take out more, mm-hmm. but it reduces the minimum. And there may be times when there's going to, that might be an advantage. Right. Um, the controversy and the, and the thought process around when do you convert your RSPs to a RIF and the average sort of advice is, is that you should defer to 71. Mm-hmm. And the thought process behind that is that you're getting this additional compounding tax-free, uh, tax-deferred mm-hmm. compounding uh, for as long as possible. Yeah. And that allows that money to continue to grow. Now, you know, what's interesting is um, five years ago when I did a retirement plan, the, you know what the top marginal tax rate was in Ontario? 49%? It's 47.5. You know what it is today? 50-something. 53.5. So it's gone up 6% Mm -hmm. in the last five years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, does it make sense sometimes to defer when maybe you could have got the money out at a lower rate? Right, right. right? And that's another uh, thought process. And it's, you know, I hope that... That, in, that our tax brackets aren't six percent higher five years from now. Yeah, really. Otherwise, it's going to be it might be a pretty scary situation. Um, so there is there is still an argument I think continuing in terms of how to use annuities or guaranteed income in terms of your retirement planning, and that's particularly valuable if you don't have a pension plan. Mm-hmm. Um, what about your investments? How should they be allocated and how should you have your investments set up when it ter- in terms of retirement? And I think that today we're all realizing, and you said it too, we're living longer. Mm. So we have to think about the long term and, and, and that means owning stock. You have to own equities in your portfolio. 
and be prepared that in a period of a recession or a downturn, that those stocks are going to go down in value. So how do you offset that? You need to have some kind of reserve set aside or the ability to shift where you're taking your money from. You don't want to be selling the stocks while they're low. You want to have an asset class such as bonds or fixed income that you can take money from during periods of recession or when a downturn happens in the stock market. Um, And that all is based, again, on a plan. So what is the strategy? We know if the market does this, we're going to do that. And so it it becomes built into it. So you're not second guessing and you're not letting emotions come into the play when Mm -hmm. you're making these decisions as well. Um, And I think the... You know, the other thing on the non-registered investments is T-Series. We talked about that a couple of shows ago, but how to uh, take your non-registered investments using a a tax-efficient way to withdraw money out of them. A T-Series mutual fund is an excellent solution for that. Um, And then quickly, just on tax-free savings accounts, do you know what the limit is? How much can you put into a tax-free savings Uh, account? A year, 5,500. 5,500. Do you know what the lifetime total is right now? Uh, 50,000. No. Close. 52. Close. 52. 52. Not uh, bad. Mm. Close enough. I dozed, I dozed <laughs> off last show. <laughs> Just for six months, actually. <laughs> You're so close. Oh, that's good. Uh, TFSAs are an important piece because they allow you to draw income if you needed a lump sum, mm-hmm. but not impact mm-hmm. maybe old age security mm-hmm. clawback, right? So- Another key important part, tax-free savings accounts. All right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right we back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows and ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Or you can call now at 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will get back to you. We're talking about what you need to retire successfully and specifically pension plans. This yeah, time. everybody who is part of a pension plan, and really there's sort of two, the two main plans are your defined benefit plan or your defined contribution plan. And just as the title says, a defined benefit plan, they're going to define what your benefit will be mm-hmm. at a certain point. A defined contribution plan de- defines how much you'll contribute, but you don't know how much you'll get at the other end. It'll be depending on performance of the investment when you retire, how long, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in between, there are some defined benefit plans that offer what they call a flex plan or flexible benefit plans. And these are voluntary. So if you're a member of the defined contribution plan, or sorry, defined benefit plan, <clears throat> the uh, members are given the option of making additional voluntary contributions. And additional voluntary contributions to the plan upon retirement give you a a list of sort of drop-down menu options that you can tack on Mm -hmm. to your existing plan. So you might decide, well, I want a little more uh, inflation protection. Mm -hmm. So you could opt for some more cost of living coverage. Uh, You might opt for um, a bridging feature where they enhance your payment uh, until you would turn 65, the normal retirement age, and when you could start Canada Pension Plan. Or it could be an unreduced pension for an early retirement. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to leave a few years earlier. 
I've got enough in my flex plan to be able to buy that out and I can get my full pension two years earlier than I originally thought. So that's an interesting process. And I think what's important from a financial planning standpoint is just to be able to model those different options. And then you sort of decide which one is most important to you at this point, Mm -hmm. because once you lock into it, it's sort of a, it's done. It's a done deal. So in the defined contribution plans, um, basically they're going to be used to purchase a life annuity. Mm-hmm. So you can do a life annuity or you can transfer your, uh, defined contribution plan to a locked in retirement account or a lifetime income fund and lifetime income funds are kind of like riffs in that you can, you have to take a minimum amount each year, mm-hmm. but, uh, they have a maximum that you can take out as well. Mm-hmm. And the purpose for that is that they don't want you to drain your retirement benefits before you would normally reach a, a, your standard mortality, sort of age, right. mid-80s for most men and women. So there, the, the final then piece would be Canada Pension Plan and applying for that. The big decision is, do I start it at 60 where I take a reduction, mm-hmm. 0.6% per year, or per month, I should say, 0.6% per month, a mm-hmm. total of 36% reduction? Or do I wait till 70 and I get an extra 0.7% per month and that then indexed for life. So those are always going to be important pieces to throw into the mix and understanding it all. So, and I guess finally, uh, you know, what happens when you leave your employer? Do you still have group benefits, health plan coverage, et cetera, in terms of drugs, uh, Mm -hmm. prescriptions, dental, uh, and do you need to buy something and what is that going to cost in terms of protecting that part of your retirement as well? Mm. So it's, there, there is no, uh, Everybody's different, which yeah. is which is the most fascinating part from our end, and uh, and it and it, but it is it is fascinating to see as you begin to sort of put it all into the into the blender, <laughs> what comes out at the end in mm-hmm. terms of the co- the options for somebody's individual plan. Yes, and it's all every, like I said, everyone's tailor made, and as Andy's trying to figure out how to get these RSPs up to the biggest number you possibly can get, I'm saying, okay, what about tapping into these a little earlier? And I know that's not quite what you're saying, Andy, mm-hmm, but, no, uh, I don't. <laughs> but it is, uh, RSPs stand for registered retirement savings plans. And the whole idea about that retirement savings plans, everybody thinks, okay, I'll just save it for retirement or even more so <clears throat> I'm hearing even, you know, accountants say, I'll just put it off till 71, keep deferring it, just defer it as long as you can. And I'm under the th- feeling that, well, it's really a tax deferral investment. Yeah. And you got to pay tax on this sometime. Yeah. And we are creating these massive tax bombs down the road. And as Andy mentioned earlier, the top bracket rate now is 53 and a half percent. Like we do not want to pay that. And particularly if we don't live to, you know, the expectancy of say 83 or 84 years old. And if we do die prematurely, anything over $220,000 in your estate is taxed at 53 and a half percent. So that's a heck of a tax bracket. And more than likely you never saved at that bracket Mm. because they were never that high when you're contributing. Yeah, really. So it really comes down to what, what are some ways to get this money out and why does it make sense? The very number one reason, if you are not part of a pension fund, you should definitely get the pension credit at age 65. So even if you are working, and I've, I've had some people working still, and they're not, you know, they're not part of a defined benefit plan or any pension plan of any sort, but they can still get $2,000 of, of RSP, RIF income. So you have to take your RSP, move it to a RIF, mm-hmm. and then get $2,000 per year paid out. You have it paid out anytime. Um, usually lump sum in December works for most people because they didn't need the money. Right. 
Um, I did have one client there waiting right till 71. And I, I, they weren't clients of mine at the time. I explained it to them. And basically, it's seven years they were going to miss um, times two spouses. It worked out to practically $6,000 in tax savings hmm. that they would have had this income tax free. Now mm -hmm. they have to pay tax at it. And it's going to, and it basically, it, in the worst case scenario, would, would have cost them $6,000 in extra tax. Wow. So we were able to get the last few because I met them uh, around 68 years old and they were, and they, we immediately applied, but they did miss a few years of it. Mm -hmm. um, if there's one of those stay at home spouses, what an opportunity. Because a lot of these, a lot of people have created a, a spousal RSP mm -hmm. and a RSP in their own name. And what a lot of people are unfamiliar with is that your spouse, can take some money out of the RSP and have the income tax to, to them. Right. Now, there's this three-year attribution rule, and this is what most people are aware of, that if you put money, say, into your husband's name, and he's, and he's in a lower income bracket, well, he could just pull the money out. Well, no, you can't, because then it would be added to the contributor's name, right. which would be the wife in this case, and you have to wait three years from the last contributions. Where this doesn't apply is if it was a RIF. And if you're... Stay at home in this case, let's say is your, you know, the, the, er, the lower income spouse is earning nothing. Their stay at home spouse and, and the husband or the wife is making all the other, all the money. Well, they could start their spousal RSP immediately. The first payment has to start the following year. And that's because you have to take out the minimum payment. <coughs> so let's say you're 60 years old and sorry, your spouse is 60 years old and there's $300,000 sitting in a spousal RSP. They can start $10,000 out of that. 3.33% is the minimum payment, which works out to about $10,000. Start that January of the following year, and it would be added to their income. Now, you would, you would lose the spousal credit, but that works out to only 20%. So I'd rather be pay save, paying tax at 20% than potentially paying tax at 53 and a half. Yeah, really. So it is a way to start drawing this money down. Otherwise, it's just going to keep getting larger and larger. So that's one opportunity. Um, the other one is, is really the estate, um, trying to, again, avoid that 53.5%. So I, I, I drew up a scenario where two 65-year-olds, one's got 500000 and they both got 500000 earning 4%. And they're making their old age security, which is about 7000 a year. They're also getting their Canada pension plan, 13000 a year. So their income is 20000 a year. And they were going to simply just take out the minimum out of the RSP, RSP or the RIF at this time. So the first year at 65, they have to take out 4%, 20 grand. And really the investment is earning 4%. So it's still worth 500,000 at the end of that year. And you have to pay some tax on that, of course. And the tax for the whole year would be about $4,300. Well, every year, as you get older, you have to take a higher percentage out of your RIF. So by the time you're 70, you have to take out 5%. So in this scenario, if you just keep up paying out the minimum, you would start to get 24,000 a year by that time from your RIF. And your RSP or your RIF would be worth about 486,000 now. So you've only knocked down the principal by $16,000. Mm. And I would suggest most people think this is great. I'm hardly touching the principal. I'm getting all this income and I'm leaving this RSP. And it's going to last me a lifetime. I look at this and I think, boy, there's still a lot of money in there. And if you were to die, all that money is going to be taxed, yeah. okay? Unless you have a spouse to leave it to, but again, when, when your husband or wife passes away, then it's taxed at that time. So if you keep continuing this right till the age of 75, 
you would be getting about $26,600 a year out of this out of this roof. And the roof would be worth about 450000 So after 11 years, you only knock down $50,000 off your principal. And again, not bad. Well, I'm thinking, why don't we pull out as much as we can? Why don't we take out, you're getting 20000 from old age security and, and Canada Pension Plan. Let's pull out, let's get an income of $70,000. Let's pull out 50000 every year. Because the clawback, old age clawback, starts at about 75000 the exact number for this year is 74,788. So you really want to avoid the old age security clawback. So let's just add 50,000 to your income. You're making 20 in the OAS and CPP. So let's take out 50,000 and not worry about it running out. Because this extra money, we can invest that elsewhere. Because right. you weren't going to keep it anyway. You, weren't, you didn't need it. Well, by doing that, you would start knocking down the principal a lot quicker. So after 11 years, when you're 75 years old, you'd be down to about 140000 So you've knocked off $360,000 off your principal. And you say, well, that's, you know, might be, for some listeners might think, well, geez, I've really eaten away at those RSP, RSPs or the RIF. And I'm thinking not really, because we've had this extra money every year, extra 20 grand, extra 19 grand, depending on <clears throat> every year is a little different. It slowly goes down. But at the end of the day, after those 11 years, you'll end up with an extra $250,000 sitting in non-registered investments. Possibly, you've maxed out your TFSA with this every year, yeah. but there'd even be more on top of that. And say, so, well, in the estate difference is dramatic because by the, in the first case scenario, you're paying about $4,400 in income tax the first year. By the time you're 70, you're paying about 5,500. By the time you're 75, you paid about 5,900 in income tax each year. So your annual tax would be low. And so over those 11 years, you only paid 57,000 in tax. However, because you just slowly whittled away at your RIF, and, and assuming you died at 75, you now have 450,000 added to your income in the year of death. And you pay $204,000 on that 450,000. The government's taking practically half. Yeah, yikes. Okay, so over the course of those 11 years, plus the estate tax of 204000 you end up paying $262,000 in income tax. Now, in the other option, you're paying more tax each year because we're pulling out fifty grand every year. Yeah. So you're paying more tax every year, and nobody likes paying tax early. But, so it works out that you're paying 13630 every year. 11 years later, that means you paid about 150000 in tax. And you're saying, Don, that's not right. I, the other case, I only paid about 58000 in tax. And you're telling me I got to pay 150000 a year in tax after 11 years. Well, the difference is you only got 140000 sitting in your RIF now. And you'll, that will only attract $42,000 in tax upon your death. So at that time, the total tax bill after 11 years, 192000 versus... 261,000, that's a difference in tax of 70 grand on this 500,000. Mm -hmm. $70,000 difference on just on the $7,500,000 RSP that you originally had. That's a massive difference. Hmm. 70 grand. Now, that being said, what about the estate? Like after all the dust settles, we've been investing this extra money and we've been putting it into TFSAs and non-registered investments earning an after-tax return of 4%. They would have grown 
to a $250,000. So in case one, where you simply took out the minimum, your estate value would have been $245,000 is how much your estate would be worth at death. In the other example, because you've been putting some money away into the TFSAs and non-registered, and you still got a little bit of RSPs left, your estate value is 347,000. Your kids are gonna end up with 102,000 extra dollars because you had a strategy about how to draw down these RSPs. An extra 100 grand. Mm. And it's the exact same money. Yeah. We haven't done anything different. You're investing in this exact same things, earning 4%. We're not taking any extra risks. We're just simply playing the tax bracket game to make sure the government's not getting 53.5%. Mm. So when the Liberals said that we are taxing the rich, and that's why we have this 53.5%, I've been saying all along, this is an estate tax. Yeah. And some very good middle- Smoke and mirrors. Total smoke and mirrors, because I'm looking at this, and there's an extra- $70,000 in tax on that same person estate, the exact same money because of this 53.5% tax bracket. And you think of the baby boomer population segment of the demographic as they move through, how much retirement or exchange of wealth there is in the next five, oh, 10, 20 tons. years. We're, we're the leading and edge. A, and now they get a piece of it. Oh, absolutely. A bigger they, piece. They, well, they mm -hmm. know, they, they, it looks like, they always had that example of the snake where they swallowed the mm -hmm. mouse and you yeah. watch that, the, the baby boom slowly go through. And that's us. And, mm -hmm. and the baby boomers hit 68 this year. And they're looking at this pile the old, of people. The oldest? The oldest. Oldest is 68. The leading right. edge of the baby boomers is 68 this year. And it's also the wealthiest. Yeah. And there's a pile of money getting older. Yeah. <laughs> they better spend it because if there's anything left yeah. over, it's yeah. going to be taxed to hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> be interesting. And, and, and underliving is one of the biggest problems too because you see all this RSP money and, and we're all... There's a reason why these people had a half a million dollars because they're very good savers. But then we get to 65 and we think, hang well- on, Hang on to it, hang on. Hang on, it. you never yeah. know, I might live to 95. And I agree, but if we moved it into non-registered in a systematic and a very strategic fashion, if something came up, like Andy had that example of some, some repairs or things that came up that I needed money, at least you don't have to cash in RSPs to get it. Yeah. You can use non-registered or tax-free assets mm. to pay for those and you'll be way better off. The discipline is when you cash those and take them out, that you don't stop at the store before you put them back <laughs> into something like your TFSA. That's where we get involved. We make sure there's a no stop, no pass go. That's it goes right. right back into an That's investment. Right. You, you don't want to pass them all on the way between <laughs> those right. two places. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out the website at andyanddon.com. Or you can call now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message and they will get back to you. All right, parents helping out the kids. More more parents and more and more parents helping out mm -hmm. kids to buy that first home. And, uh, you know, it's probably not surprising when you think about all the, the sort of things that you've chalked up against us. But, yeah. you know, there's a pretty long list of parental responsibilities at the start of, our, of raising our children. You know, we just finished Halloween. It's like the costumes, yeah. the decorating, everything else. Never mind, um, you know, weddings, school, et cetera. So mm. uh, there was, there's been some study in terms of the amount or the extent to which we're now starting to help 
our children in terms of that first uh, that first home purchase. And, um, you know, it's funny, it was interesting, we were talking about this with, again with a client this week, and they said, you know, in their neighborhood, they remember uh, when they first got there, how many couples were just, they were just literally had been married, mm-hmm. and they were buying their first matrimonial home together. Man. And they could afford to do it. Mm-hmm. So between a combination of what they had already saved and their jobs, they got married and the plan was we'd buy a house mm-hmm. and you just don't see that anymore, no, right? It's, yeah. It doesn't happen very often. And um, so it's been, a, we, we know it's been a competitive housing market. There's no doubt about that. And that's certainly contributing to the financial, the need for financial assistance amongst other factors. But uh, I guess from the children's perspective or these adult children, I know, I think there are some there are some other factors that need to be considered. I think kids are, are staying in school longer than perhaps they would have before. Uh, and that means that, um, that, and that's basically to uh, try and compete into the job yeah. market to make sure they can get a job. The cost of post-secondary school is going up. Yeah. So that's another factor. Um, many of the university graduates are strapped with student loans, mm-hmm. and that makes it difficult to save yeah. for a home as well. So what we've discovered or through the research is that in varying degrees, parents across Canada are helping their kids enter the real estate market. And in British, in British Columbia and Ontario, where they're the provinces with the hottest real estate markets, 42%, uh, 42% of purchasers, first-time purchases in BC, and 35% of per- home buyers in Ontario received assistance, financial assistance mm. from their parents. How does that compare to the past? Any yeah. Idea? You know what? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, this is what, this was what hit me when I thought about yeah. this conversation I had with these clients that in the past, you know, couples got married, yeah. they bought a home, you mm-hmm. know, that was what they did. And they probably didn't need a lot of help at mm-hmm. the time. Um, maybe there were some funds from the wedding. Who knows? But mm-hmm. uh, the Atlantic provinces. They got clocks and they got uh, irons. And they <laughs> yeah. Got, Sheets, they get, toasters. They didn't get money in their weddings back then. <laughs> exactly. <Nope>. Uh, <laughs> the Atlantic provinces actually have the lowest rate of assistance at only uh, 18% on mm. average in Nova Scotia, PEI, and New Brunswick. So 18% compared to 35 and 42 in Ontario and BC. So clearly, you know, that does tell us a little bit more about how the real estate markets are, yeah, are the differences across the country. Mm. Um, so, you know, most, most money that parents contribute is going towards the down payment. And, uh, and that, that, that does vary from province to province. In British Columbia and Quebec, 45% of home buyers put down at least 20%. 45% of home buyers in British Columbia and Quebec put down at least 25%. Mm-hmm. In Ontario, it's 38%, so pretty mm-hmm. close. And only 20% of people in Manitoba and Saskatchewan meet the 20% level. Hmm. And uh, and those that don't put down at least 20%, we know they're required to pay default insurance yeah. in addition <clears throat> to that premiums. And uh, and the more you put down, the, the smaller those premiums are. So if you're, if you're planning to help out your kids in terms of buying that house, I think you need to consider a few of the implications in this. And there's probably three main financial assistance options. Oh, they're right. all financial? <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Well, I'm sorry. To be, we're moving to Mexico. <laughs> See you later. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the three main financial mm-hmm. assistance options are a loan, number one. Mm. Um, this is obviously, it's a good way to top up that down payment to get them to that, to help them get to that 20% or help them get in to cover the closing costs, et cetera. Uh, 
And and really, I think the only thing here is that if you do it as a bona fide loan, you do have to claim or declare the interest on your on that loan on your mm. own tax return. Um, but setting it up with um, uh, a properly documented loan often makes sense because it just insulates or protects the parents in case of a marriage breakdown should things go wrong. Right. So that certainly is sort of a tight closes the closes the loopholes and keeps things you know mm-hmm. on the up and up in terms of uh, how that's how that's going to be set up. Uh, gifting. So gifting is probably one of the easiest ways to help out. It's so just, nice too. Uh, it is. It's a nice way. I just like the sound of it. Yeah. Gifting. Rolls off the I know. Exactly. And, uh, Thank you. And it's important because parents will often ask us, are there, are there any tax implications mm, to gifting? Yeah. And there is no tax implications to gifting. You can, I can gift you money, Scott. It's a win-win. It's a win-win all the way around. <laughs> the, the giver feels better. Yes. And uh, now in that rare situation, if a parent decided just to buy the house outright, mm. and then in other words, a hundred percent, they're going to buy it, then there, there could be implications that the sale of that house down the road could actually end up being a capital gain to yeah. the parent. So probably not a great idea to buy the house outright for your child. Um, and the third option is co-signing. And I had some clients that came in recently that were um, uh, that had co-signed to help their son buy a home in BC. And uh, co-signing is a is a simple way because you don't really have to put out anything in terms of cash flow or any of your own money. But aren't you on the hook? Oh, exactly. Oh, yes. yeah. So very common these days. Um, too. It helps them in terms of getting the home. But if kids default, if they default on the mortgage payments, then the co-signees are on the hook to cover the costs. It's not and, like a new uh, car. No, no. <laughs> and, and this it limits is, how much you can borrow yourself too. Exactly, and so mm. it, it affects your whole credit rating, everything. So really, the bottom line is, I really don't not a big fan of co-signing. It's probably my the least favorite option. Mm along the way. Uh, push comes to shove. Uh, there may be situations or circumstances where it might make sense, but yeah. you really need to review that one very closely. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call, 905-529-7165, and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Uh, that's andyanddon.com. Boy, I've been just waiting for this one. Uh, the top 13 richest dead people. Yes. Or celebrities, I guess. 13? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. Right. There you go. Not, not oh, 10. Carrying on the Halloween <laughs> you thing. Got there it. You go. I know it was Tuesday last week, yeah. but. Uh, the candy's still here, so why not the folklore? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, this comes out every year by Fortune Magazine. Mm-hmm. And it's always like, I can't wait to see what this year's is. There's not that much switching around, but there's always a few. There's yeah. always a few new ones. And uh, it, it's actually interesting how long people can run a business far after their their death right i know i know one person who's on this list every single time i'm not sure what number he is but uh mr schultz for peanuts peanuts yeah that would make sense i would say elvis is on it well i'm not going to give it away yet you know (laughs) what do you guys like at christmas time jumping ahead sorry (laughs) (laughs) this is halloween okay we can't even get this big Uh, day here number 13 david letterman's top 13 list top 13 all right Mm -hmm. and and uh the thirteenth person is Betty Page. Oh wow! Yes, pinup girl, old pinup pin girl, old pin old pinup yeah. girl, is that, and is uh, that that the image. Yeah. Shockingly enough, she made seven point five million dollars last year in pinup wow. material, whatever Holy they cow. still do. But I guess her image is, uh, you know, stands the test. And of time. And somebody owns that and would be receiving that. Wow. Seven point five million dollars a year, and she hmm. died um, back uh, 
December 11, 2008. Mm. So about nine years ago. Number 12, and another female, Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She made $8 million last mm. year. And by the way, when I go last year, it's actually interesting enough, October 15th to October 15th. Really? They go mm. by the Halloween calendar Perfect. year. Yeah. To make this official. And her, her, she died back in March 23rd, 2011, but with fragrances, fragrances and uh, I guess some clothing lines, yeah. she's still uh, pulling in money. I was going to say, probably wow. the fragrances, perfumes. Mm -hmm. uh, number 11. And, uh, you know, it's kind of sad to see this one on this list because it wasn't here too long ago, but it was David Bowie. Yeah. yeah. 9.5 million. Mm -hmm. He died uh, January 10th, 2016. Mm -hmm. And so his first full year had just passed. And uh, a lot of what happens is when a, a musician passes away, there's usually a demand for their songs. Again. Oh, yeah. Right. And right. Uh, all yeah. of a sudden, they'll, so they may be on the list um, for the short term or they may continue. And yeah. we'll, we'll go over that. Number 10 is one of my favorites. This one absolutely has been on forever. I love this one. And for any science techie or big big bang um, mm. fans out there, yeah. Albert Einstein. Wow. Mm -hmm. He made $10 million last year. It's those dang wigs. <laughs> the wigs and the mustaches. Those wigs and, the, and his oh, theories. He sold, he sold a, uh, a letter. It, he had given a tip to uh, to a that. bellhop, yeah. and it was how to how to enjoy life, and it was basically keep it keep no uncomplicated life yeah. and simple life, and yeah. that was his advice. Yeah, huh. and theory of relativity, and then, you know all those little things. And there's T-shirts and posters made at university dorms are a huge mm -hmm. seller still. Mm -hmm. uh, number nine, John Lennon. Yeah, uh, twelve million dollars last year, and he died. In, um, it was December eighth, nineteen eighty. So. 27 years ago. It's still making 12 million. Yeah, 30, sorry, 37 years ago. Yeah. I thought it'd be more than that. Yeah, anyway, yeah, he's still there. Don't 12 million, a million a month isn't bad. That's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd take that. Uh, number eight, Yeah. Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Just go. keeps going and going. Green eggs and ham. You got it. $16 million last oh. year. Uh, September 24th, 1991, he passed away. Mm -hmm. And going back to the singer theme... Prince, yeah, mm -hmm. eighteen million dollars, and here's mm -hmm. one that passed away April twenty first, two thousand sixteen. So just a, about a year and a half ago, but again, a big resurgence of his songs after his death. Um, and this one, they, they had to hold the presses for this one, and that's why the the whole list came out a little mm -hmm. late this year. Was another singer passed away, October second? Tom Petty. Tom Petty. Yeah. All right. And he was making a million dollars a show. Good for him. Yeah, wow. up until his death, and he made $20 million in this short-lived short, short -lived, yeah. Um, year. Yeah. Um, and then now we're into the top five. And these ones have not moved at all. And I think they're only getting po more popular, some of these. Number five, Bob Marley. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He made $23 million. He died May 11th, 2000, uh, 1981. He wow. is now, they just finished opening up um, House of... Marley audio products and um, Marley beverages. Mm -hmm. So they're getting a lot of uh, resurgence of money there. Um, Elvis. What a legacy. Elvis in there. Number four. Yeah. August 16th, um, 1977 was his death. He made 35 million last year, and this is up from 27 million a year ago. Wow. Now, the reason they went up by $8 million in a year, they built a new $45 million yeah, Elvis Presley oh Memphis gosh. Entertainment Complex and a hotel across oh. the road from Graceland. <laughs> <laughs> oh there is more money. It's it's it, and so, 
it's and only going to get bigger. And they think that that's fading because generationally, the younger people aren't that aware of who he was. So they're wondering how long this can last. But there you go. Well, uh, he's still alive, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Collingwood, and there was a whole bunch <laughs> there on that one weekend. <laughs> shouldn't be. Shouldn't be on that list. They don't look the same, though. Shouldn't be on that list. No. Charles Swartz, Andy. Yeah. Her favorite. Yeah, you there you go, he, he pulled in 38 million last year. Mm-hmm. He died back in February 12, 2000. Mm-hmm. It might start dropping off in the next couple of years because MetLife dropped the oh, whole thing. Ah, okay. And so they'll get rights till 2019 on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, this one actually was one I was a little surprised at Arnold Palmer. Oh, oh right. 40 million he brought in. And there's 400 stores in Asia, Asia still selling his product. So there's one more left? Yes, one more left. Can I guess? And you have to play, the producer of the show has to start playing the song Thriller. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Michael Jackson, obviously. Yeah. No. I thought get... Marilyn Monroe would be in there in the top five. He, she oh, used right. to be a couple right. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. She, she yeah. got bumped by somebody, but Jackson. he brought in $75 million <laughs> last year. and uh, His family's still fighting over it. Oh, Probably. He, he died uh, in 2009, and he's part of Cirque du Soleil now. He just put out a new album, oh, Scream, yeah. and there's Halloween specials. And last year, 2016, he did make $825 million because he sold all his Sony catalog. Right. So wow. he dropped from 825 to $75 million <laughs> in one year, but there is the dead celebrity list. All right. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 or check out their website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you Thanks. next week.